Hello. Hello, Ben Chapman. Hello, Donald W. Schaffner. That's good. You got you got the right uh, middle initial there. I, I do. You know why? It's, uh, it shows up on your Skype uh, <sighs> the Skype thing. Yeah. Skype handle. That's what it's called. Uh, 40, 4029er. That's what they used to say in CB land, CB times. Is, is that what they, they used on. to say? Yeah, they used to talk about the handles. I guess people still say that in Twitter, in the Twitter world. They do. What's your Twitter handle? What is what is my Twitter handle? Um, I'm talking into my shoe. Nice. That means you're podcasting from home. I am. I haven't showered today, Don. Oh my so, gosh! Did, did you put on pants? Uh, well, short short pants. Okay. Well, as you, it's North Carolina, so that's yeah. kind of the dress code there. It is. It is. I have to uh, turn turn the volume up with my. Um, uh, with my trusty little USB <laughs> microphone. Yes. Uh, there we go. All right. Um, also, there was some background noise uh, just a minute ago because uh, I'm uh, podcasting, uh, as it's as it's called, from my office at home, which home is office. where my printer is. Oh. And uh, and my wife, uh, the lovely Danielle, is is currently printing something. Oh, that's awfully helpful of her. Well, that's kind of like how my wife sometimes vacuums during the podcast. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, um, it's it's okay. So that's, it's okay. Neither one of them listen. No, they don't. They don't listen. And not, like my my mom doesn't listen. No one. No one I know listens. Actually, that's not true. A lot of my internet friends listen. Um, I was I was uh, I was at a I was at a meeting today with someone who who uh, is aware of the podcast and who says he starts listening, uh, but then he gets easily distracted and he stops. And I explained to him that uh, my strategy was to listen while I was driving and while I was walking the dog. And he he pondered that and he said, "Oh, hmm, that seems like a good idea." Did did uh, <laughs> I thought you were going to say that he's listening to the podcast and gets easily distracted like we do? Like that's that's kind of our thing. Well, it could be. It could. I mean, he could be. You know, we could be sitting here talking about something, and then and we mentioned some popular culture reference, and he has to go like research that, and then maybe it's a movie or a TV show, and then he decides to immediately start watching it. I I certainly didn't interpret that it meant that um, we couldn't hold his interest. Well, I'm glad. Oh. I'm glad about that. I'm glad that um, we are able to. Um, Make it so people uh, like to like to listen um, and and commit time to to listening to us. Yes, um, especially especially this individual sounds like he uh, is just easily distracted. You know, my child, um, <laughs> your older child or your younger child. My my older child um, uh-huh. likes really really likes the word distraction huh. and uses it <laughs> a lot. Like correctly. Not, Oh, very correctly. Oh, like, I got distracted. That's why I wasn't able to finish my carrots. Um, he uh, now does he ever get distracted so that he doesn't finish his chocolate cake, or is it only carrots where he gets distracted? Uh, it's only carrots or applesauce, huh. yes, or healthy the things. That, yeah, the things that he doesn't want to eat. Um, but he did uh, um, use that term this morning. Um, as a reason why he kicked uh, child number two directly in the face this morning. Um, and it was because, well, Sam was distracting me. And I thought, okay. Uh, I was, and, and Sam was crying, and that got more distracting. So Jack wanted to, to maybe um, 
engage in uh, some physical uh, uh, disciplining uh, again, but uh, we we stopped that. So yeah, it's probably he's, he's, probably a good strategy. I you know I I don't think Ben there are. F- very few circumstances where I can recommend kicking someone in the face as being a good strategy. <laughs> it's never, it's never good. Especially, well, I don't want to say never, Ben. I just want to say uh, th- there are very few, very few and select uh, uh, situations where that's like, for example, if you are being um, kidnapped by a terrorist, you know, probably kicking someone in the face is a good idea. Not bad. Not bad. Uh, um, not as a remedy for distraction though. Is what you're saying? Like, if you find yourself distracted, kicking someone in the nose, not a not not what you would suggest is a good strategy. No, there are probably better strategies than that. Oh. Hey, I have a I have a question, uh, like a logistical question for you, Donald W. Schaffner. Yes. Are you? Do you have your your Dropbox on? Do you have I, uh? You got something going on? I do not. Um, uh, am I am I sounding robotic? You were a little bit robotic. Yeah, um, so um, uh, I'm working. I'm uh, podcasting from home today, uh-huh. yeah, um, yeah. as I usually do. But as we, I think we've explained on the podcast before, I have um, uh, moved out of my home office uh, into right. my new home office, um, and my new home office is one uh, one one room away from my old home office. But my new home office does not have wired internet, and so I am on the Wi-Fi. And um, my son is doing something in uh, uh, the, 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 my old home office, which is now his bedroom, um, and he is probably uh, sucking up the bandwidth. Well, that's okay. Well, well you, you're uh, you're good. You're good. Okay. Uh, we'll we'll uh, we'll continue on because it's not. It was it was just a second of, of uh, um, uh, or roboticness. Okay. That was my robot, my robot voice. Yeah. Well, and, and, and I think, uh, I think I'm doing the audio on this one and you sound fine. So oh, as good. long as it only interferes, if it doesn't interfere with your download and only my upload, um, we're good. <laughs> I think, I think we just found the show title. <laughs> we're, we're, we're a full six minutes in and there it is. It's done. Just call it a show, Don. I, you know, I hate, I hate those ones. I mean, you know, sometimes the best show title does come early in the show, but I kind of like the ones where it comes closer to the end because I feel yes. like I feel like once we've s- delivered on the show title people there's no reason for people to keep listening it's true and uh, and and that's uh, you know I want people to listen to the whole show I, I do too it's um, even if they're listening to it on 1.8 speed or 2.1 speed oh like a uh, barbarian uh, it's crazy we would sound like chipmunks maybe we do already sound like chipmunks we would sound like quicker chipmunks um so uh I uh yeah, so I'm at I'm at home. Guess guess what I'm doing tomorrow? You won't guess you won't be able to guess. Uh, so you're I'm playing a, golf? I'm not. I wish I was playing golf. I'm going to um the lovely city of Asheville, North Carolina, which uh last time we recorded a podcast, I just returned from Asheville, North Carolina. But I am going to spend all day tomorrow with um seven new best friends who are um, chefs, and I'm going to teach them about uh, things like sous vide and sprouting hassop in a retail setting. No, oh, very good. I, it is like, I, I don't know. I've been, I've been doing, I've, I've mentioned it a few times on the podcast that I've been doing this, these workshops with environmental health specialists on teaching ha- retail hassop and specialized process kind of stuff. And um, this is, it's like the most fruitful thing that I do. Well, second most fruitful thing that I do. The podcast is number one with a bullet. Um, number two though, is spending time with like 
these really creative food industry chef people who are like, I want to make really good, you know, sous vide, whatever, like we've talked about duck breast, whatever it is. Um, and, and through, uh, like five or six hour period, they're going to walk out of there with like a, like functional HACCP plan with, I mean, some fill in the blank stuff, uh, that they're going to go have to do on standard operating procedures. But we're going to talk about food safety risks, kind of like what we did with, with Merlin, like we do all the time. And it's, it is like, I don't know, it, it is the most, um, uh, rewarding part of, of what I do. Which which is fun. So I get so I'm gonna so we're gonna do this podcast. I'm gonna drive out to the mountains. It's beautiful in North Carolina. It's like 65 degrees and sunny. Uh, I'm gonna be at this really nice uh, resort with uh, a, a bunch of folks tomorrow, and we're gonna get like really intimate around HACCP. Very good. So I I'm not doing anything special tomorrow, but I am giving a, a kind of an interesting talk on uh, this Sunday. So I was contacted by a colleague of mine in the Ag Econ department, or whatever they call Ag Econ these days. It's not Ag Econ. It's something more complicated. We we have we have the uh, Department of Agriculture and Resource Economics. Yeah, I forget. Are- Econ. Yeah, yeah. yeah I, this is this is something something like that. Anyway, an extension colleague who said, "Hey, um, uh, would you could you recommend someone who could give a talk uh, to the New Jersey Grange about antibiotic resistance?" And um, I said, "Well, you know," and they want someone who can speak on the pro side and someone who can speak on the con side. And I'm like, "Well, I could probably speak up from the industry perspective. I don't know if it's a pro side." Um, uh, and and then so I guess and then I, I sort of uh, suggested a colleague of mine from animal science could speak on, or I could I could speak on from the from the, the 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 anti side and my colleague from animal science could speak on the pro side. He he seems to have dropped out of the discussion and now apparently I am giving this talk and then I got an email from the organizer and they they, they kind of it seems kind of a little bit uh, loosey goosey. So so uh, in the last message I got uh, it reads as I stated earlier food safety is always a popular subject but I would like include something about hormones given to healthy animals, GMOs, things that we need to know about. Thanks very much. You have about half an hour, but people might ask questions. Whoa, awesome. <laughs> and so what, as soon as I got that, I'm like, okay, this is great. I know exactly what I'm going to do now. I'm going to not prepare. <laughs> yeah, you're going to do a podcast. I'm, I'm going to do a podcast, Ben. Exactly. Oh, love it. We- and, so what, and this is amazing. So what I have been doing over the last probably week and a half since this thing got organized, any th- Anytime something comes across my radar on GMOs or antibiotic resistance or hormones, I'm just throwing it into a Dropbox folder, Ben. This is literally <laughs> I'm going to do a podcast. Um, and it's fantastic because once you are aware that you need to like get up to speed on and, – and I don't have to be an expert on any of these things. But what I really do want to do is have a, a really interesting conversation about these things. And so I've just been – preparing like you know a bunch of materials which i'm i'm not really other than finding them and throwing them in a folder i'm going to get up sunday morning i'm going to have my uh my sunday breakfast my morning coffee and i'm just going to read through all of this stuff and then i'm going to just speaking of a nice drive i'm going to drive over to uh, lambertville new jersey which is if you drive uh pretty much straight west from my house just before you get to pennsylvania you you run into lambertville new jersey which is a lovely town and uh, as i mentioned this to my wife she said oh that sounds really good they have lots of antiques stores there. So so we're going to drive over there and then she's going to buy antiques and I'm going to talk uh, about a bunch of things that I really don't know too much about. Well, that, But I'm looking that, forward to it. That sounds awesome. Yeah. I, um, I, sometimes some of the best like talks 
are those um, non-professional group folks that ex- that happen on a weekend. Like, well, like well, it's, it's kind of laid back, right? Yeah, and and that was that was sort of like the. The talk uh, that I gave that we talked about some time ago for the uh, um, uh, New Jersey uh, organic uh, folks, NOFA, NOFA New Jersey folks, uh, Northeast Organic uh, Food Association, <laughs> something, something. Um, uh, and it was the same thing. I did, I did obviously some preparation. And as I shared with them and I think I shared with you, it's like, well, I, on the one hand, I really didn't prepare. On the other hand, I've been preparing for 25 years. <laughs> so, hey, let's, let's have a talk. That's right. It's like let's do a podcast. I, yeah, it's it, like with the uh, uh, Krispy Kreme run that I ran uh, a few years ago in North Carolina, where you run uh, two and a half miles, eat a dozen donuts, and then run another two and a half miles. So that's how I answered it. I never prepared for it, but somehow I was preparing for that middle part my entire life. <laughs> Perfect. Um, hey, so um, I, I've mentioned a couple of podcasts ago, a couple episodes ago, that we, uh, we were uh, acquiring a dog that's being made in the western part of the state. And um, I'm now – so I'm driving to Asheville tonight or this afternoon. I will come back from Asheville tomorrow. It's a four-hour drive. Mm-hmm. Um, and then on the weekend, I'm going back to pick up this, uh, this dog. Um, are, the, are you going by yourself or is the whole family going? The whole family is going on, on the weekend. And uh, do the, do the kids know? They do not. They still okay. do not know. So, yeah. so what, uh, what reason have you given them for going to Asheville or, or do they not <laughs> think that plan that far ahead? They don't, they okay. don't know. They, they don't even know. Like is, a, a very common conversation I have with Sam is, is, is today Wednesday? And no, <laughs> Wednesday. Like, and, and then today he said, is Saturday, Saturday is a good day, right? I said yeah, it's, I mean it's one of the better days. It's not it's not Monday. Um, it's one of the more uh, you know there's there's fun things that happen on Saturdays. And he goes okay, well, I just let me know when it's Saturday. <laughs> I'm checking out till then. Yeah, because it sounds it sounds like a lot of fun. Yeah. Um, so no, no, they don't. Uh, oh. They're still they're they're still in the in the dark uh, on on what this is uh, what this is all about. Um, and so uh, yeah, so it's so and 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 it's not even like. A hundred percent confirmed that this weekend is the the time we're going. We we have uh, um, very limited. Well, let's say unidirectional communication with the with the breeder, mm. where where we ask questions and we don't get answers. Like, hey, can we come this weekend, or is this when you need us to come? And then uh, and then we don't hear about it for for a little bit. So so the the current plan is that um, that we will be uh, we'll have a little ne- next time we record a podcast at home. There's going to be a little Stanley here. Excellent. Yeah, it's um, I'm, I'm looking forward to it. Yeah. I, you know what? This time of year, and and I know, I mean, you've got. Um, You've you've got Gibbs and you've do you just you've got another dog right you have two dogs right <laughs> you're you thinking of Brett Michaels I think yeah I'm thinking of Brett Michaels <laughs> no we 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 used we used to have two dogs and uh, one we had to put to sleep a couple of years ago and the other one we had to put to sleep um, a little while ago like a year ago so, oh, so yeah. So I just 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 question. just the Gibbs, and uh, although Kristen is regularly threatening that we're going to get another one, but oh. um, but it's it's you know it's complicated now because we have Gibbs, and he's kind of boisterous, and he's kind of big, and he's maybe not good around other dogs. So yeah, so I, we, there might be another. There, there's probably another dog in our future, probably sooner rather than later. But but I'm not in charge of that. Right. That's not not your um, not in your in your department of things. Exactly. Um. So. This time of year, as the spring hits and it gets really nice outside, it makes me like long for walking a dog. And so that's that, that's part, you know, the winter or 
you know, the four days of snow that we get a year here. <clears throat> Those are the days that I don't want to have a dog. Exactly. Um, so I, you and I, and this is like kind of an inside joke, um, and would only be the people that know us, uh, that know us through the, through the Facebook know about this, um, Brett Michaels, excuse me, Gibbs thing. But I realized something yesterday as I was searching or two days ago, maybe it was mm-hmm. yesterday, as I was searching the internet for a fantastic picture of Michaels with a bunch of doctors, um, that I don't understand why I haven't sent you pictures of Barry Gibb doing things. Like from the Bee Gees, Has sure, or or any any of the brothers Gibb for that matter. A- any of the brothers Gibb. Like, has anybody else done that? Have I just missed it? You, Do people... you no, everyone has missed it, Ben. You're the first one to discover that. Oh, uh, except, I don't know. Maybe you, you know there might be there might have been back when we first we finally settled on the name. Um, there might have been some brothers Gibb pictures actually. Now that you mention it, so yeah, you have to go back and yeah, it's impossible to find anything on Facebook. But if you if you if Facebook did have a way to search, um, you probably could find something. Well, I'm gonna. I mean, it, I it opened up it opens up a whole other like search string for my memes the mm-hmm. memes that i'm creating on your facebook yes page. now that i because now yesterday i had in my head oh well if i don't find brett michaels with a bunch of doctors then i'm just going to find barry gibb with a bunch of doctors but i'll multiply my likelihood of making you know uh making this uh work my 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 jokes work right by, exactly by, so um do you know that uh, barry gibb um is a he's a cbe you know what? He's he's by the uh, order of the British Empire. You know that? Uh you know I did not know that. That that's uh, that is very impressive. He's uh, yeah, and I think it, it's it's extremely impressive. My favorite uh, brothers Gibb, um, which is not even in that was not is not even them is is really uh, Justin Timberlake and Jimmy Fallon pretending to be. <laughs> <laughs> the Bee Gees on uh-huh. Internet Live. It's my favorite. It's one of the best things that the Bee Gees ever did. <laughs> yes, exactly. Uh, okay, well, Gib. Uh, all right, I got the. I got a new Gib thing. I'm excited. I'm excited now. Uh, is it Saturday? <laughs> no, but I'm going to kick you in the face. <laughs> Don, don't get distracted. Uh, <laughs> Uh, so what's uh, what's what's new with you? What's going on uh, in the world of uh, Doctor uh, Donald W. Schaffner, PhD professor, uh, person in yeah in the food safety world? Well, in in, in not in the food safety oh, world. Oh, not in the, even we, better. We have found we have because we have to talk about popular culture. Um, we have found a new show uh, which is awesome. Uh, uh, and again, you if you knew anything about us uh, and it's our, on Acorn. It's, it's not on- it's not on Acorn. It is a british show it's on netflix um and it is called uh river um and i'll read you the top line summary john river is a brilliant police inspector whose genius lies side by side with the fragility of his mind he is a man haunted by the by the murder victims whose cases he must lay to rest and so this is a guy who has seems to have some sort of mental illness um but uh, he sees dead people, <laughs> um, and uh, those dead people are his murder victims. And it's it's quite it's quite good. It's very it's shot in London, but it is it's and it's shot in HD, and it's it's just it's gorgeous. I mean, it's really it's it's the you know the 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 skill with which the shots are created and and the show. 
is is set is very reminiscent to me of The Wire, just because there are just shots that are so quintessentially London, uh, and from from the the really fancy parts of London to the really you know down and dirty parts of London. But anyway, we're we're really enjoying it. It's it's a relatively small investment. It is a typical uh, British uh, series uh, in that it is has one season, and the first season has six episodes. We've watched four of the six, and so uh, yeah, very much look and it and it's sort of you know individual stories but then there's also this overall story arc and i don't want to i don't want to spoil it but it's again we're enjoying it very much oh and then, and then the other thing is that so it's set in england with all of the actors and the, all of the actors are english except the main character is uh swedish and he moved to sweden as a uh, as a young a young person so he's still very much you know looks swedish and has a speaks with a swedish uh, accent and uh, very much is a man that doesn't really fit within the rest of this uh cop culture in in london but anyway really really good stuff oh awesome i will uh, i'll check that out we have not yet finished uh sherlock uh in the uh british uh show um uh queue that, that we have but we did uh we did just uh, invest an entire week in house of cards season four which i which i love kevin spacey's great um so, have you have you guys gotten into that? Is that a is that one on your list? Nope that's that is not on the list because um, politics. Right. <laughs> um, yeah, it's just not a. Not a thing. It just would be it would be it would be too angst uh, producing uh, for Kristen. So we would much rather watch shows about people being murdered. <laughs> oh, okay. that's good. Because because politics is just too depressing, Ben. <laughs> Uh, well, and more, I, I, I guess more of a fantasy, the politics side. Yes, exactly. Yeah. It's, it's a little too, at least with the, with the murder stuff, it's, a, there's a real realism aspect of it. Exactly. Oh, po- politics, politics. Um, yeah, we're, we're all over, uh, house of cards. Well, we finished, uh, we finished it. And now we, we currently have the void of finishing a show that we really liked. Right. And, right. and now it's like. Uh, can we find another one that we're going to like as much or do we have to, yeah. do we have to sit out a little bit? Well, and you know, one of the things that we've tried to get better at doing is if we don't have a, like a show that we're actively, you know, consuming, um, to watch movies. And so we recently watched, um, <clears throat> hunt for red October, um, which stands up so well, Hi- highly recommended. Um, I posted, uh, on Twitter and, and on Facebook, uh, send one ping. Um, and of course, uh, classic line from the, uh, from the movie and just to see <laughs> And, and just to really, people just you know descended on that, on that uh, Facebook thread, and and really got into uh, the spirit of the movie, which is fantastic. And then the other one we watched recently, oh, actually a couple ones we've watched recently, um, uh, Twelve Monkeys, which is quite quite disturbing, um, uh, a movie by uh, Terry Gilliam about time travel and, and featuring Bruce Willis, and then uh, also. Very highly recommended both – well, more – so True Grit, both the original with John Wayne, which was okay, and then the Coen Brothers remake uh, with um, uh, – what's his name from Big Lebowski, Jeff Bridges. Um, so, so good. Um, really, really highly recommended. I So I saw that in, in the podcast uh, uh, Dropbox um, as I was going through. I actually did some preparation this week. Oh, um, great. And I thought – and I've had that – I've had uh, True Grit for, for a while uh, sitting in, in a folder of things to watch and I've not watched it. Like it's, it's, it's one of those ones that I um, – that, I, that and maybe I'll watch, maybe I'll watch it this week. Oh, it's really good, and, and it's you know, and it's interesting to watch to go back and watch the original because it's fairly it's fairly 
consistent and there are even some some scenes that are the same and some lines of dialogue that are the same but then you know the coen brothers dialogue their ear for dialogue is just amazing and there's just yeah there's so much good in it so um uh yeah they're both they're both good but the watching the we watched the 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 coen brothers one first and then we watched the john wayne one and it was it was hard to stick with the john wayne one because it's just you know a 1969 movie with 1969 pacing and you know it just and we had just come from the 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 fabulous coen brothers uh remake but but all all good but have you have you ever seen the hunt for red october yeah yeah i have yes i like i like that movie yeah yeah, really, really, and again, holds up really surprisingly well considering it's a nineteen nineties uh, movie. But really, and a very young, uh, an old uh, Sean Connery and a very young Alec Baldwin, and and now uh, they're both kind of old, right? And so. the less, I mean, the less angry Alec Baldwin. Yeah, yeah, a very yeah, very fresh faced Alec Baldwin. Back when he was the the Bell of the Baldwin Brothers. <laughs> Show title. Oh, nicely done. Oh, I, I downloaded something for us today. I should I like totally lost it. Oh no, it's not working. Um I have a service bell that that is an app that that one of our listeners um who was catching up on podcasts uh at NoroNerd uh on uh on the Twitter said because uh, I said on one of the podcasts, hey, I should get a service bell, and she said, Hey, there's an app for that. Is your <laughs> Here's a dumb question. Uh huh. Is your service bell an app, or do you actually have a bell? Wait, hold on. Let me check. It's a bell. It's an actual bell. It's an actual bell. Well, I'm I'm working on a desk on, on an actual. Uh, I'm gonna have one in my phone. Okay. And it's gonna be amazing. I'm gonna use it more than than you realize now that I have it. Except <laughs> I can't I can't make it work. Um, I. <laughs> Right? This is the most ridiculous thing. I'm going to text you a picture of this app. Is really just what I downloaded is just a picture of a. Service. <laughs> I hope you didn't pay for that app. I did not, but it's a picture of a service bell on a desk. That, I love it. That's an app. Yeah, it's not. It has no. Uh, it's not. It's not working. Now I have a desk ball. Oh, oh! You hear that? Nope. I did hear that. Yes, that's the that's a different app. Okay, and it says if you really want to ring the bell, try shaking the iPhone. Okay. Oh, okay. <laughs> oh, the fun things. Oh, was that you or me? I that's you. Oh no! Don't. Okay. Well, now I have a bell, so it rings at random times. Yeah, and every time I shake my iPhone, it rings. I think. Uh, no, I just shook it without the app being on. So anyway, um, don't download the app Service Bell because <laughs> it's just a picture of a bell on a desk. Okay. Do download the app Desk Bell, uh, which says tap the bell to make it ring. And it did. <laughs> All right. Uh, it's it's uh, three, uh, three out of uh, five stars there for Desk Bell. <laughs> desk Bell is ridiculous. Um Oh my gosh! Okay, or, or just go buy an actual bell. <laughs> works every time. Yours is much deeper. Well, it works every time you're there. Well, yeah, yeah. It doesn't work if you don't bring it with you. That's no. that's the advantage of having an app. Can you put that? Yeah, exactly. Yeah. I mean, you're not carrying that bell around in your pocket. You never there, know. There are too many prepared. jokes. Now, see, wait a minute. Now, service service bell. The app uh, has four out of five stars. So, uh, a lovely picture. 
Uh, yeah, I don't think I think the service bill one will ring, Ben. I don't think you're doing it right. I might not. So there's another picture that I just took. Mm-hmm. Um, hang on, let's try something. Siri, ring service bell. Oh, she's. I don't not, think that's going to work. It's not going to work. Siri, it's, not it's fascinating. Fascinating. Hey, um, I, uh, I, I I blog something and I Instagram something and I tweeted something today. That I thought you might enjoy. Wow. Did you do that all at the same time? No. No, I did it. That's three succession, three different subsequent uh, social media uh, engagements, as they call it, uh, on the uh, – <laughs> Is the, that what they call it? Yeah, that's what they call it. It's like, what's your clout score? Hmm? Hmm? It's uh, pretty clout. Cloudy yeah, McCloudington. It's cloudy. It's cloudier it's, than uh, yours. It's cloudy with a chance of meatballs. Huh? Um, whoa. Oh. Damn it. Service, service dustbells failed me again. See, yeah, see, it's no, you know, this is uh, this is something to be said for devices in the real world. It's true. Um, okay, so uh, not to uh, not, you know, not not to um, uh, what's the word I want to say? Let, I, let I me help. Get... Let me help you segue. Okay. Okay. Into talking about food safety by just briefly mentioning a recent app experience that I have had. I don't know if you've had this. Um, on my watch, I will often start uh, an outdoor walk or an indoor walk um, uh, by speaking to my phone. Um, and I, I have uh, uh, often said, uh, hey, Siri, uh, start an outdoor walk. Um, and Siri starts looking for uh, going to Norwalk. <laughs> oh, Norwalk, like straight like, to Norwalk, uh, uh, Ohio. Ohio. Well, isn't that interesting? Yeah. You know, I don't think you, I mean, you could go there. I'm sure the the virus, like the outbreak's cleared up. Probably has by now. Because it was, uh, I think it was 1968 or 72. It was in the, it was one of the, it was one of those election years. Um, <laughs> thanks for the segue though. You, you lobbed that out there for me. So, <laughs> I got a I got an email today uh-huh. from, from someone who will remain not anonymous. Okay. That's what I wanted. I wanted to protect the innocent. Right. That's got what it. I was trying to, trying to say. Um, uh, and really, it was because the individual doesn't want, um, you know, just doesn't want to rock the boat at work. Mm. Uh, but uh, an email uh, was of a picture of a door, and the door says "Do not enter." Um, and it's a it's of a meeting room. I, I know this because it. It like a uh, porta potty or a porta john or an airplane uh, restroom. It has a vacant, not vacant sign on it. Um, you know, like it's in use. So it's it is a door that has a, a, a green vacant sign with someone has put a, a post-it note on it that says, "Do not enter. Norovirus may be on couch. Steam cleaning requested." Oh, that's awesome! It really is awesome. And it was a friend who works in public health. And uh, snapped it at her uh, her place of work. Um, so uh, this this led to uh, an entirely too too much fun, ridiculous conversation between um, our, our dear friend Michael Batts and our dear other friend Michael Bazzacco. Those are two different people, um, similar similar last names, different people. Uh, about. Um, what might have happened on that couch, which then devolved into Mike Bat sending a picture of a, a um, intramural soccer team uh, T-shirt that he designed when he was in college uh, it, of a 
his team was called the Shirley Couch Lickers, and that was based on an individual um, who uh, was a resident of his uh, uh, um, dorm who licked a gutter couch for a dollar. Um, and so, uh, so anyway, uh, who knows what's going on on couches in public health buildings? Uh, but norovirus. So here's the here's the question that I have for you: Should they just throw out the couch? Like if someone vomits on a couch in a in a public place, what what do we know about what steam cleaning is going to do? Like very little is is my guess, or is it? it and it, uh, I don't know. What's your what's your thought? What's your take on that? Well, on that I question? mean, clear, clearly there's a research need, um, uh, and yeah, I don't know. You know, if, if if you throw out a couch every time and it's vomit on it, that's going to get pretty expensive, and so. I guess on the one hand, I would say there's a research need, and we need to figure out um, how to uh, how to clean couches. Um, I am reminded of a, uh, a a publication which I think we've linked to before about some carpet that was contaminated yeah. with norovirus, and um, the carpet was cleaned, but then later was replaced. And during the replacing process, the individuals who ripped up that carpet did contract norovirus. So, um, you know, I guess I would, I've got to believe with, you know, steam gets pretty hot, Ben. Um, I've got to believe that if you steam clean that couch, uh, you could effectively get rid of the norovirus. So, but obviously we do need technologies for disinfecting um, the hard to disinfect objects. It's one thing to disinfect a hard surface. You can use chlorine for that, or you can use more mild things that would work, but um, you should be able to disinfect a couch too. So I would hate to, I would hate to recommend that you just throw out a couch every time it gets some vomit on it. Um, maybe uh, you could uh, throw out the cushions and replace those cushions. You could, if it was a you know cushion with fabric, you could um, wash the fabric in a washing machine. You could throw out maybe the foam part and replace that. I mean, there's got to be some strategies there that don't involve just throwing away the whole couch. Yeah, I, it, I, I would, uh, I'll admit that my risk management decision might be uh, an expensive overkill. Um, there is um, uh, a, a little bit, and we'll link to this uh, from C- the CDC website on their recommendations uh, for controlling norovirus in healthcare settings. And they have a, um, a section on fabrics. Um, and uh, they say that uh, one descriptive study, and it's actually there's very little data on this. Um, really, they, they cite one systematic review and three descriptive studies looking at norovirus on fabrics. Um, but they do say that um, uh, one descriptive study suggested that soiled, upholstered patient equipment should be steam cleaned. But if this is not possible, those items should be discarded. Um, and um, yeah, the, citing the same study that, uh, that you mentioned on carpet, two descriptive studies emphasize careful handling of soiled linens to minimize re aerosolization of the, of the virus. Um, but this is healthcare and it's a little different, different situation. I guess, um, I guess this is a, a, my, my point is the, the question that I have is around the efficacy, not the, the ability for someone to actually steam clean a entire couch cushion. Um, and, and, and I guess it, it depends on how porous that fabric is and how deep um, those virus particles might have, might have gone and whether like flipping over and trying to fluff up that uh, um, 
that couch uh, uh, cushion days later or months later uh, may end up uh, redisturbing the the uh, the norovirus. But anyway, um, I uh, I don't think I'd sit on that couch again. Like I. I, I probably I, I, if I if I saw this sign, I think it would always be the norovirus couch in my mind. The stigma would be too strong. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Kind of kind of like uh, like going back to Chipotle. <laughs> kind of like going back to Chipotle. Um, kind of like <clears throat> I, I, um, a, a little bit uh, on like uh, the thing that the Jack in the Box will always have, and Chipotle will always have. But even you know, twenty plus years later, we're still talking about. Jack in the box and, and and E. coli. Stigma. Stigma's tight. It's tough. Yeah. Hey, but uh, but Jack in the box. I mean, Jack in the box. Yeah. Um, uh, Chipotle's got, got everything uh, fixed because uh, because they they do you know what they have now, Ben? Uh, they they have, have an executive director of food safety. They do. They've got a, an exec uh, someone in the executive suite. And we uh, we kind of know him. I I never met the man. I've, you, you've met the man. I've met him. I met him. You know, the last time I saw so uh, uh, Jim Marsden's the uh, the individual. He was a, a um, uh, professor at Kansas State University for quite some time, uh, back to 1994. Um, and uh, I met him. Uh, I hung out office maybe 10 years ago and talked to him and then i saw him at a uh cheesecake factory in kansas city how about that yeah so so i get, i mean i know he eats at the cheesecake factory and probably uh, eats at chipotle too he, i'm sure he does i'm sure he does now uh little known fact about uh, jim morrison his son's james marsden of uh superhero fame uh x-men cyclops guy exactly and is was in uh, Thirty Rock. That was actually my favorite James Marsden thing. And did you? <laughs> Here's another little known little known fact about the Marsden family. Uh, according to James Marsden's Wikipedia page, if I'm remembering correctly, uh, he got into acting um, while on a family vacation. Uh, they were vacationing next to the Cameron family, Kirk and Candace Cameron. Uh, Candace Cameron of Fuller House and Full House fame. Wow. How about Weird. that? Yeah. Anyway. Um, yeah. So, so there's, so, so a couple of interesting things I think happen uh, with the, with, with the Chipotle announcement uh, of Jim, Jim Marsden. Um, one is, and I, it wasn't really like covered too much, but the day before the announcement happened, um, there was some information that came out from Chipotle saying that they were going to reevaluate some of the things that they had announced back in December uh, for risk management uh, decisions. Did you did you pick I, up on that? I, I, you know, that? I just I saw that just now in find in looking for a link uh, to to link to on this story. And bizarrely, I saved a copy of the uh, the Meeting Place article. Um, and now when I go to look for that on the internet, um, uh, Meeting Place says it wants me to join. So, but I did find. That that article about rolling uh, rolling some changes back. So what's what's up with that? That's very weird. It is. So here's here's my guess. This is, I mean, total just speculation. Like you and I like to speculate. I think that um, you know early early on, 
Um, Chipotle hired IEH, and and we've we've talked a little bit about IEH uh, in the past. Uh, Mansour Samanapur, I'm not sure if I'm pronouncing that correctly. Um, is runs runs that company. They're a um, you know service provider, lab services, and and do a lot of uh, sampling um, and create sampling strategies. Uh, for companies to to do food safety, and um, one of the things that that they're um, you know that, that they that they do uh, that I, you know that many many folks probably know about them around is they have devised some proprietary um, methodologies to look not just for culture based confirmation of pathogens, uh, but they look for specific genetic markers and come up with some sort of a statistical score on whether a pathogen is present or not. And, um, and, and so it's, it's like a different type of approach, I guess, and maybe a less traditional approach to, um, decision-making, you know, or data that, that'll cause decision-making risk management decisions. And, and I, I got the sense and again, total guess that, um, that once uh, once they hired Marsden, there was like, well, maybe we're not going to do that. Let's we we may do testing, but we might do some culture stuff. Well, and I would hope um, that if they hired Marsden, they would let him tell them what to do, right? And if he right. disagreed with a particular st- earlier strategy, they would give him the flexibility to roll that back uh, if he wanted to. So, I mean, certainly it does not inspire confidence that they have this sudden change of direction. On the other hand, uh, maybe that's what they need to do, again, especially if um, you know Marsden really is going to have be at the helm of, of food safety, and God knows he certainly surely knows more than the other people there um, uh, who've, who've, you know, made some pretty boneheaded statements about how CDC does their job that we've talked about here before. So, yeah, I don't know. It's uh, that that would be my guess, too, is that it's just really just a matter of, um, you know, giving Marsden the, the power and the responsibility to do what he needs to do. That's, yeah, that, that's kind of the, the way that I saw it was um, we made some decisions, but we didn't really have anybody in place. Now we've hired somebody. And maybe that person doesn't agree with what we decide we were going to do, so we're going to let them do their do their thing, which is which is a positive thing, right? Like that's a that's a good thing. That's a good thing, right? Ultimately, it's a good thing. It's going to take them in in a, in a good direction. So yeah, and it's funny that you should mention IEH because I think I think the last time that we talked here, I had mentioned um, that. I guess I, I had talked to – I think I had mentioned I had talked to a, a former FDA person about frozen foods. You did. Um, yes. And, um, and one of the things that came up in the conversation, and I don't remember my conversation with, with him, but maybe not with you, was the fact that IEH does have this – system for testing for listeria. Uh, and you can, you can do a test that's like, again, like the standard IEH tests that go from 1 to 10 where 1 is low risk and 10 is high risk and we don't know exactly – what it means, um, but they have a similar test for listeria, and we talked about the possibility that this might be the kind of thing that the frozen food industry wants to do um, if they want to try to get a handle on listeria in in uh, frozen frozen food plants. Yeah, and it, this is um, it, it reminds me of something like around uh, auditing that that uh, when I write about auditing where. There's no like one magic answer to this approach. It's not like you're in the um, IEH statistical analysis camp or you're in the culture-based camp. I feel like these are all tools that go into a toolbox that help make decisions. And 
Um, and so combining these things, that's, that, that seems better than, than trusting or, uh, you know, just focusing on, on one of them. Um, as, and, and I, you know, I hope that's, that's what happens here. Um, St- uh, I, I do want to re-highlight something from Market Watch sure. um, around uh, the Marsden announcement. And, mm-hmm. um, and it is something that uh, Steve Ellis, the uh, Chipotle C- uh, co-CEO, said um, that there – and this is back in December, but it's something that, that I just feel like we need to keep coming back to. The promise was that he made to consumers that a new their new food safety procedures would make Chipotle the, quote, safest restaurant to eat at and bring outbreak risks to, quote, near zero. It's, it sounds a lot like uh, – We have the safest food in the world. <laughs> yeah. Sounds a lot like that. Yeah, I, I'm, uh, I'm, you know, I'm. I wish them well, but I don't. Uh, I don't think that they're going to get there uh, quickly, as quick as they think. You know, it's a great thing to say, but uh, you know, and actually, I had a really interesting conversation yesterday with somebody who uh, works for uh, what? Did, what was it? It's. Uh, 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 a company, I think I can say this, a company called Cornerstone Capital. And basically they are, they help people with investments. And he, he is a research analyst. And he said, look, I want to pick your brain. Actually, he was put on to me by uh, your buddy down there, Rich Linton. Um, ah, and, nice. uh, and we had a really nice chat and he was asking good questions like, well, so how do you know that a company is like, they want to advise their investors on, you know, which companies to invest in, then they don't want to, and you don't want to invest in a food company that's going to have food safety problems. And so, we had some really interesting discussions, including we talked a lot about Chipotle and and about how Chipotle was kind of putting themselves up as being this, you know, again, sort of thinking about my my talk upcoming talk at the New Jersey Grange too, talking about antibiotic free and hormone free and GMO free, and in many people's minds that all equates to food safety. But if you're asleep at the switch and you let norovirus and salmonella and E. coli into your food while you're doing all these other things, or you say you're doing all these other things, um, you. You know, how much are you really protecting food safety? But we had some really good discussions about like, okay, so what could an investor look at, right? Like what are the, the externally visible things within a company? And we, you know, there, that's a, it's not a long list, but one of the things I, I suggested was, well, it might be um, having like who who is in charge of food safety at that company, right? And 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 who is the senior person, and who do they report to? Now we know Marsden is now executive director, and he reports right to the COO and the CEO, and that's great. Um, but 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 prior to that. What did they have, right? And and how and and so that's one of the the things. The other thing that I said was, well, you know, my my metric is, do they have somebody who's a member of IAFP? Um, uh, and un, but unfortunately, uh, that, that investor, unless they want to choose to join IAFP, they have no, they don't have access to that database because it's not a public database. So, but yeah, really, really interesting discussions around that. Huh. I um, want to come back to mm-hmm. to that concept of. Um, executive power and where people sit on the the organization chart and leadership and, and that kind of thing. Um, I uh, I think I might have mentioned, but my my department um, in you know for those not in the academic world, um, you know the, we we all are Don and I and, and our other colleagues were in 
colleges and those colleges have subunits underneath it called departments and, and blah, blah, blah. Anyway, my department has been merged with another department on agriculture, education, and extension. Um, and so, so that group does not really, um, uh, they're not like delivery folks like we are in extension. They are the sort of, um, scholarship and development and philosophy of extension. Anyway, one of the, one of my new colleagues who's not new, I mean, I've known her for a long time, but we are now like department mates. She does, uh, work in leadership and leadership structures in, in agriculture and food businesses. And I had, um, an extension of the conversation that you and I had on the podcast a while ago about this idea of who sits where and who is, um, you know, who, who really has power. And she, I mean, we, we had like a 15 minute, um, discussion about how we could actually measure some of those things with some of the methodologies that she uses in leadership and organizational behavior and, and really looking at, um, a, um, a large group of companies that, have not had incidents versus uh, a smaller group of uh, companies that have that we can really pinpoint where power is to get a sense of who has what what kind of like at least organizational power. Um, there's but she brought up this idea that um, even though like we could look at documents and organizational charts and um, th- there's a there's a culture not unlike the food safety culture and the politics system within companies that we may not even ever get to that to really like answer that question like and so someone who's a manager in in food safety may um, because of who they um, who they are and past interactions may have more influence than even someone with a um, an executive title uh, who's been placed in and just from a a sense that, okay, the CEO has decided to fix something and there's animosity amongst other um, executives. Really, I mean, some really interesting stuff, I guess. Oh, yeah, that sounds absolutely fascinating. And, and, if, and if you can, you know, and it's one thing to be able to do that in a storytelling kind of way. And what I would be really interested, as you can probably guess, is like, how could we quantify that, right? And yeah. could we, can we, are there objective data we could measure within a company to say, yeah, this company uh, scores like a 70 and this company scores like a 90 on this on this scale of, uh, you know, leadership engagement with food safety or whatever. But yeah, right. and that, that's, that's, that's fantastic. It sounds really interesting. Yeah, I want to. I want to pursue it, and, and it, and it harkens back. I, I wanted to use the word "harkens" today. Um, so, ding. Um, I, got, I couldn't get to my iPhone. But thank you, thank you. Um, harkens back to a conversation we had in the last podcast about what types of attributes are. Um, do certain grocery stores who score better or worse in um, inspections have? And, and so if we look at executives versus outside service providers versus a member of IAFP, you know, and we can start to put together these profiles of, of companies that have been um, not – I think it's easier to put together pro- profiles of companies that have been not successful, right? Like we right. know so much more about companies that have had outbreaks. And the lack of an outbreak, it doesn't, you know, doesn't guarantee sort of anything. It doesn't, as um, uh, our friend at, uh, at uh, Mr. L's, Steve L's says, uh, taking uh, outbreaks near to zero. 
right? Like just because you're you don't have the incidents doesn't mean that the risk factors aren't there, right? Well, and you could look at uh, Jack in the Box before and after. I mean, McDonald's is somebody I always hold up as being you know outstanding at food safety, but they've had issues in the past, and so you could look at you know uh, past McDonald's versus present McDonald's, right? Um, so I think that there are are um, things that you can look at. But again, the question is, how do you get access to that data? Uh, you know, and, and, and yeah, what, what are the objective data that you can, you can gather from outside a company versus what do you need internal access? So, mm-hmm. but obviously with your expertise in food safety and your colleagues expertise in leadership, uh, you guys seem uniquely positioned to be able to do that. Yeah. We might be able to get at something here. Um, I, so I wanted to go back to that L's comment again. Yeah. Um, on, uh, again, I'm going to, this, this one is kind of, I want to get your take on it. It's this bring outbreak risks near to zero. Would you be able to argue that we already have outbreak risks near to zero, like for food in general? Well, I mean, right. If we, yeah. If we look at number, like if we just did some math, right? Like meals consumed versus number of outbreaks. Right. Yeah. Right. We're pretty, pretty close to zero, right? right. Like, I mean, yeah. Yeah. And so, and really, again, you know, because the, I mean, the way that I think about these things, and I think it's very helpful to think about these things, is on a logarithmic scale, right? And so, yeah, okay. So, certainly, one in every 100 meals are safe. One in every 1,000 meals are safe. One in every 10,000 meals are safe. Maybe for a really poorly run company, one in every 100,000 meals are potentially at risk. Um, for a well-run company, one in a million meals are risky, right? So, so really, yeah. you're, you're talking about things that are varying over an order of magnitude. And the question is, is if a bad company is a one in 10,000 risk, how do you even find that? Well, you sure don't find it through testing, right? And we've talked right, right. many times before on the podcast about microbiological testing and, and, the, the, and why we have HACCP. And you know, we measure things like temperature instead of doing plate counts or, or, or pathogen counts or pathogen prevalence. And so, yeah, I would say, uh, just, you know, in, in the words of our, our former president, um, it depends on what your definition of is is, right? Uh, it depends on what your definition of near is, right? Maybe, Be- maybe he needs near to zero nearer to zero sure and nearer to zero is good that's that, closer that's to zero than we are today that's good that yeah but ne- is yeah that, that's the one thing that's that struck me about that um is, is like yeah near to zero i mean we're you could probably make that case an argument now that that everyone's near zero well and you know this was something i i spent some time talking about um with the the analyst yesterday is we're moving with fisma and and other things we're moving from a hazard based system to a risk based system and a hazard based system says salmonella bad no yeah. salmonella well a risk based system says you're not going to get no salmonella what you what you can say is you can say less salmonella today than tomorrow or less salmonella that's not the <laughs> wrong strategy. That's wrong. Let's, yeah. let's salmonella today than yesterday, right? So let's let's look at and and let's and again and we talked we talked about uh, you know cost effectiveness. It's like if you have three technologies and the first one is fantastic but is super expensive. Um, well, uh, from a risk based perspective, you're not going to want to spend all of your food safety money on that first 
intervention if it's really expensive. You would be much better taking that same money and applying it to three interventions that are not nearly as good each by themselves, but together will get you further. And so if you take this risk-based approach, you begin to look at it quantitatively and, and you maybe make different decisions. But but again, this whole idea of saying we're going to have zero risk, like, like again, not long after the outbreak, Either the, the the founder or the the COO was was quoted as saying, "We I can guarantee we have no E. coli in our food." And it's like, well, first of all, dude, get a microbiologist to teach you what E. coli is, right? Because right, right. Uh, number one, uh, you definitely have generic E. coli in your food. I will guarantee you that, right? And number two, you hope you don't have pathogenic E. coli. And then after that, there was another outbreak, right? So, I mean, geez, come on. It's uh, it's frust- it's it's frustrating, right? Like yeah. it's, oh man. Um, so I wanna I wanna turn turn things a little bit to something that's uh that's going on. Like it's it's evolving today, and now that we're almost all caught up on uh, um on posting episodes, this will become pertinent when we do get this up. I I I predict later this week that this episode will be up. Not and wow. I'm not saying I, I predict that. I predict that. That uh, episode, you mark mark my words, Don Schaffner. Mm-hmm. You will be reading, you will be reading, you will be listening to uh, episode uh, ninety eight in in April two thousand and sixteen. You'll be able to, you and I will at least, because we can <laughs> listen to it right away. Um, you but, and I will so, probably listen on March 29th. <laughs> we probably will. We probably probably. I'm listening right now. I'm listening to you right now. Um, hey, so animal contact. And and uh, risks and E. coli, it's it's coming back. Is it? <laughs> yeah, it's back. It's back. It's back. Um, so there's a there's a goat farm in Connecticut that's now been linked to 16 illnesses and two cases of HUS, and the 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 words that are coming out of um, the uh, health departments uh, on their investigation are very like. So this is a place that um, that they do produce goat milk. Goat's milk. I don't know if it's goat milk or goat's milk, but they depends produce- on how many goats there are. Yeah, <laughs> if it's just one, it's goat milk. It's just goat milk. Yeah, um, and it and that's not like a short for greatest of all time milk. Um, it is so they got so they got the goat milk, um, or Freddie Gauthier, who's a, a soon to be Toronto Maple Leaf. Uh, anyway, uh, just a little sports ball for you. Um, and uh, and fifteen people ill. And, and the investigation says from visiting the farm. Um, not about, uh, drinking anything. Um, and, uh, we had, um, so, so that's, that's going on, on today and CDC has now been dispatched and, um, it's, it's getting, um, you know, it's, it's getting investigated and, and uh, I guess my prediction, cause you and I are in the world of predictions when it comes to, we are, uh, what's the Johnny Carson person, the Greg Carnac? Carmack. Car- Carmax? Carnac. I think you're Carmax. Thinking, I think you're thinking of uh, a Chipotle burrito. Um, it's a carnitas. Uh, so in this uh, in this prediction, my guess is we're going to find that the pathogen is in the environment, and we're going to find that um, hand washing might have been a factor. And like we have in the past, oh, I don't know, 40 outbreaks from animal contact, people aren't really good at washing hands in, in this setting. And and food will be food being consumed in the environment, um, which is like, you know, uh, there's a hand washing 
you know, compounded issue where it's like, okay, well, we've got food um, and someone's going to touch a rail and then eat something or drink something and, and people get sick. It's, it's kind of like the same story every time with, with these ones. Um, but what, what comes out, I, my guess is all the stuff about cleaning and sanitizing and keeping the pathogen out of the goats themselves or either doing vaccinations or testing, all the non-handwashing factors, I think those are all forgotten in the, in the communication. I think it all, it'll all boil down to we just need, get, need to get people to wash their hands more. And as you and I have talked about multiple times, people aren't really good at washing their hands. So, so that's like – Well, and even if they were really good at the washing their hands, hand-washing is not a perfect intervention. And, right. and yeah, and this is uh, – we're going to continue to have these outbreaks and because people love to go and pet the cute little animals. And uh, it just – and we've talked about this before and we will continue to talk about this, I'm sure. And I don't see a solution because the solution is don't put small kids around animals, right? That's the yep. solution uh, or I guess maybe ultimately a vaccine to get rid of a, uh, you know, uh, uh, pathogenic E. coli in animals. But I don't, I don't see a way to do this safely. And hand-washing hand washing is great. Hand sanitizers are great. But that's not the answer. The answer is don't put kids around these animals. Uh, that's yeah, yeah. The, I mean, I hate to say that, but that is the only – I mean, with milk, you can pasteurize it. With meat, you can cook it. Well, we can't do that in these situations. Um, yeah, so it's – and and yeah, and it, it's it's the responsibility of public health, and it's it's kind of outside our expertise uh, our expertise as as food safety experts. But I don't know. I mean, whose responsibility is this? I mean, there's not. You know, this is something that that I think about from time to time because of the work that we do on hand washing, and there is crossover with sanitation in hospitals and 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 things like that. But this area of sanitation around petting zoos. It's just not – there's no research, right? There's no – I mean, no – and who's who's going to solve this problem? Whose responsibility is it? I don't think we have – is there is there an entity that is responsible for – I guess it just would be public health generically, right? Is I mean, yeah. do you know? Is there – who's well, responsible for the safety of petting zoos? And it probably varies from state to state. And is, think, is it, does yeah. it even fall in, through the cracks? Is there even, even anybody responsible? So, so I, I mean, I've been doing a little digging on this. I have okay. a colleague in the vet college, uh, Megan Jacob, and Megan and I've been. She's really interested in this in this issue, um, uh, a animal health side of things. She's a she runs the diagnostic lab at our College of Veterinary Medicine, and um, what? So, there's not a whole lot of research um, out there on non hand washing factors. Um, there's some good, just, and it's actually similar to the, to the world of norovirus, um, where there was some really good epidemiological evidence from, you know, N equals 12 cases or 50, like 12 outbreaks where, um, you know, persistence in the environment and, um, pathogens moving to rafters and inside and, um, sawdust and soil being, um, a nice vector to move those pathogens around and super shedding, you know, like if you put it all together, right. Um, there's lots of, lots of different stuff, um, that, that goes into it, but what, what we don't, what what we are failing to do on the risk management side of things is is focus on all those other things, and it and it kind of boils down to to this. Like, here's the 
here, here's the the argument against what what you and I are talking about. It's well, people and especially kids need to know more about agriculture. So we have to take them out, and we have to make them not be afraid of the animals, and not be afraid of the process of of making food, and and that's that's all that is all good. Like that's all good stuff. Um, but the benefit of that versus the risk of being exposed to these really like I mean every one of these cases like i can't think of a petting zoo or animal contact outbreak where we don't have hus cases like it's it's not like it's not like a bunch of norovirus right like it's 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 a pathogen usually it's it's either um it's either um 0157 and it's almost always 0157 there's not a lot of other aztecs in, involved in in animal contact if i look back at the the history or it's crypto and um, and so we've got, you know, some potential, you know, pretty nasty, na- nasty pathogens and the environment is hard to manage and it takes people to clean and sanitize things that are really dirty, like visibly soiled because of the, the environment. That's part of the, like that becomes part of the problem. So it all falls back onto, well, everybody should just go wash their hands and, and folks, it doesn't work. Like, I mean, I don't know. I don't know. I don't know the answer either than what you're than what you're suggesting of, okay, well, it should, maybe we just shouldn't, maybe it should be recommended that kids don't go around them. Yeah. I mean, because it, it, and, and, or, or it's a, it's a multi-pronged strategy, which involves hand washing. It involves hand sanitizers. It involves signage. It involves uh, controlling the flow. It involves maybe warnings to parents. It involves, you know, food and like, you know, not having food in close proximity, because guess what? When you're a small child and you're eating food, you're probably putting your fingers in your mouth. Um, maybe, maybe there's age restrictions, right? I mean, I don't know too much about, um, HUS susceptibility, but is there an age where it's a tipping point and you can say, okay, well, kids that are less than this age, they're going to be higher risk and kids that are above this age is going to be lower risk. And, and then, you know, somehow parsing that out. But, I mean, I would hate to think that the solution is that kids can't visit farms, but I, I mean, I would hate that, but, but I don't, at this point, I don't see a way forward. And, and again, part of it is we just don't know, right? There's huge research needs here and, and yeah. there's huge research needs. And I don't see anybody who, who, like, I don't see anybody stepping up to fund that. No, no, exactly. And so, I mean, I kind of didn't answer your question about who, like, who's responsible for it. And I think it's largely the departments of agriculture, right? Like, and they're in this weird spot of in some states, they have a public health function. My state's one of them where we have a food protection branch that focuses on food, but does all of the processing food safety. Um, and then in other places, they, they don't have that, that same kind of thing. And so there's, you know, the, you have maybe the Department of Health who's involved as well as um, the Department of Agriculture, and you've got one group that is there. I mean, l- like they're not sole mandate, but they're, they're um, central core focus is promoting agriculture and making sure that we protect agricultural markets. And, and that's the same group that, um, that's trying to protect public health and say, you know what, agriculture is really great, except, you know, if you touch these things, you might die. Like, yeah, (laughs) that's a a weird thing. So going, going back to something that you mentioned on, um, the, this multi-pronged, uh, approach. Um, so, um, 
I, I was a co-author on a paper with, um, with Doug and, uh, uh, Kate Kukanich, who's at Kansas state and the student who, who did the research, um, that I'm going to tell you about his name is Gonzola Adrosian, uh, sorry, Erdosian. And he did a, we'll link to this in show notes. He wrote a, a paper, published paper in 2012 where he did some observation, um, at, at, um, Kansas and Missouri petting zoos, found some, some fun stuff. Like he watched 574 visitors um, at uh, 13 different petting zoos in in those two states. Um, in he saw there were hand washing signs. There were um, you know 10 of 13 uh, petting zoos had hand hygiene stations. Eight of them, uh, or sorry. 10 of 13 had hand-washing signs. 8 of 13 had um, uh, uh, hand-washing stations. Uh, But risky behaviors were observed uh, at all petting zoos by at least one visitor. But my favorite result is that visitors were 4.8 times more likely to wash their hands when a staff member was present within or at the exit to the animal contact area than if there was no staff member. Like, isn't that fascinating four four times is a lot ben that's that's almost it's not it's it's not quite half a log but boy um that is fascinating and yeah wow let's so that that would be something that is a measure gives a measurable risk reduction and you could do and also is kind of expensive having a staff person stand there but you know what wow that's a fantastic that's a fantastic observation yeah, it was like it, it still kind of blows me away that that like out of all the factors that that is that matters. Like if we were to put this together in a risk assessment and you said, OK, let's let's see what kind of reduction we can get um, by sticking somebody there. And just like and it, and it, it kind of goes back to um, behavior theory of, OK, if I'm there and someone is telling me or is, is trying to impress on me that this is an important action that I should do, that it is kind of like the social norm because there's this person who's like, hey, um, and, and it could just be like uh, they are just pointing out here's where the hand-washing stations are. Um, you know, they're not physically grabbing someone's arms and washing their hands, their hands for them. But that, that aspect, like that one um, component of that uh, – uh, of that petting zoo really seems to matter. And, and so like, I just, I don't know. I mean, so there's stuff that's out there, but I, I, you know, as I've been working through some stuff with Megan, we did, we had a, um, a summer student last year, Jamie Hedding, Heddington, who listens to the podcast. I think he's in, he's in the UK. Um, he came uh, and spent a summer with us last year. And one of his tasks was to go find uh, like, non-traditional small petting zoos just on the internet so we could get a catalog of how many there are and where they are so if we were going to do something with with these like independent you know oak whatever this place is called oakley farms type place Mm -hmm. um that we knew where we were going and it's not like the state fair where there's so many people that go through but it's got a big lens on it every year um and i think he found like 70 different places in our state that just by just like a a, a cursory um uh review of of the internet with like petting zoo animal contact search terms right so it's i mean so even there if you had, even if there was some group that was responsible for managing these at a regulatory agency, 
70 across the state, that's a lot of places to visit or interact with or, or, or at least get information out. Like, I mean, it's, it's someone's, it, it becomes someone's job to, to deal with this. Um, which is, uh, I mean, that's, that's where it is. Yeah. Yeah. You know, and and this is a really interesting area and we're doing, we're just getting, getting started. I've got a PhD student, actually the one that did the five second rule stuff for her master's, Robin Miranda is starting her PhD and it's funded by NoroCore and she's looking at norovirus, uh, risk modeling in a food service setting. And I'm hoping that as a result of that project, uh, we, in the, we meaning me, the lab, build some capacity in this um, this kind of uh, discrete event uh, modeling, or or uh, basically, you know, being able to model norovirus in a kitchen. Because once you understand that, then you you can construct similar risk assessments for, let's say, a petting zoo, and look at okay, like like let's let's run let's make some simulated petting zoos with various things going on, including having a person standing there, you know, and taking uh. taking data like uh, what you're talking about in the the the, uh, the, the paper by. Uh, or Dozan and, and et al, right? And take that data from that publication and other publications and, and use that to construct a risk assessment. Um, so yeah, I'm hoping, I'm hoping at some point and within the next couple of years, we'll have the expertise that we need in my lab to be able to do this kind of risk modeling. Cause I, I think it's a, it's really a fascinating area. And, you know, like I said, no one really is, seems to be doing it. And yet we continue to have these outbreaks. It's a fascinating area. And it's, it's got so much, potential application right like yeah yeah oh let's let's keep doing this stuff don <laughs> all right i'm not retiring i'm not re- i'm not going no anywhere. not anytime soon i'm not going anywhere i like this stuff too much i don't know yeah it's uh it's, it's it, it, and and you know i i kind of appreciate that some of our listeners might not be in this area of animal contact but i think it, I, I think the more that we look at this and, and like you're suggesting with you know, looking at Noro, Noro in the, in these events, there are so much. There are so much. Um, they're a good analogy for things that we are trying to control in the food industry, where we have different factors and there's a behavioral issue that's that's part of it, and and maybe not regulation, maybe regulation, whatever. Like it's it. it I think you can replace you know, restaurants and food industry for petting zoos and, and, and learn something by, by looking at this stuff. Like, I mean, maybe by having a staff member remind people that they should wash their hands would make people, you know, 4.8 times more likely to wash their hands in a restaurant too. Yeah, it reminds me of the uh, reminds me of the sign that uh, says uh, employees must wash hands, and it's like, well, I couldn't find an employee, so I just washed them myself. I just, yeah. <laughs> oh, that's good. So, uh, where should well, well, I, you know where I want to go? Well, I, I know where I want to go. You tell me where do you want to go? Where do you want to go? I want I want I want to know Ben um, uh, what you think about lady balls. <laughs> I don't. I I. I only know about sweaty balls. <laughs> I think that's the well, the right Ben the right answer. Ben, lady balls, I don't know if you know this. Lady balls are a convenient, delicious daily snack to provide you seed cycling nutrients. They are made with organic ingredients. They are soy gluten and nut free. They are a hundred percent plant based and they are raw. <laughs> my favorite it's my favorite kind of favorite kind of balls. Yeah. 
Lady Balls chocolate covered raw seed snack. So uh, this is this is a product uh, that is available um, on the internet. Um, it's a beautifully designed website. I really I really like their website. Um, I'm I, I I don't think Ben we are in uh, their target uh, demographic. Um, actually, you know what? You know why their website is so beautiful? I see that it is powered by Squarespace, which also Ooh. powers the Food Safety Talk website. So. Um, so uh, uh, seed cycling is a natural food-grade therapy used to gently regulate your hormones. Uh, but, Ben, I don't think they're talking about male hormones. I think they're talking about lady hormones. Um, uh, also note that this product is not intended to replace any hormone therapies or prescriptions from your doctor or prevent pregnancies, uh, transmission of sexually transmitted diseases. Um, so, so, you know, don't use your lady balls for trying to stop uh, getting uh, 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 STD. <laughs> I, I, I won't i won't i won't do that but um, you know what i what i'm worried about is all these ladies out there uh that are that are consuming uh, magpie and poppy's lady balls um that they are potentially at risk because uh oh you know this is interesting so uh there are uh there's two kinds of lady balls ben uh there's uh day one through 14 lady balls and there's day uh, 15 through 28 uh lady balls um but they all contain well so day one through 14 lady balls contain <laughs> i just want to use my lady balls oh man <laughs> Raw pumpkin seeds, raw flax seeds, uh, Theo Fair Trade chocolate, uh, and the fit day 15 through 28 ingredients contain raw sunflower seeds, raw sesame seeds, uh, and also Theo Fair Trade chocolate. So, uh, yeah, uh, these are organic, they are raw, and uh, they will help you with your uh, lady problems, your lady hormone problems. Well, my seed cycling. <laughs> your seed cycling. <laughs> yes, indeed. So. Uh- um, cause science, they're Ben, raw. They're science, really raw. science, are they uh, really raw? I, 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 that's what, that's what the website says. Seed cycling never tasted so good, Don. It has a long history of helping women naturally regulate their hormone cycles. So yeah, anyway, so that's what I wanted to talk about. <laughs> uh, yeah, no I'm comment, gonna, no comment. No, I'm going to segue. In, <laughs> I'm going to segue into two things. Okay. One, these are uh, these are sequiturs. These aren't non sequiturs, right? Uh, Segue um, sequiturs. Yeah, I uh, I, I, I posted uh, yesterday on the uh, on the Barf blog uh, about um, something else that I had not heard of that was raw. Um, uh, duck small batch duck batch sliders. You know about these? They are. Uh, I, I do not. Please tell me about uh, duck. Batch sliders. They they are raw dog food because you know about the you know about the raw dog food stuff, right? Like I do. Uh, we raw, don't we don't butter. feed our dog raw food. Is that because you don't want to give them salmonella? Yeah, I don't want to give me salmonella. I don't want to give yeah. them salmonella. Um, just I, you know, we like our we like our food cooked, uh, both the f- food for humans and for animals. I mean, we do let them occasionally look out the salad dishes, and I guess the salad has raw vegetables. But yeah, no yeah. no raw meat. So uh, yesterday there was a recall. Uh, one one lot of small batch pets. Um, duck so they recalled small batch pets. Yeah, small batch pets incorporated. <laughs> Artisanal small batch pets. <laughs> Artisanal small batch pets. Uh, and as like I said uh, in my post, I've had small batch beers and small batch whi- whiskeys. <laughs> Some are good. Some are small batches for a reason. <laughs> Um, anyway, so uh, they recalled these because 
they, it says um, due to their potential to be contaminated with salmonella and listeria monocytogenes. How do they know that? Um, recall was initiated after routine testing by FDA of a three-pound bag of dog duck batch sliders uh, that was collected at a distributor revealed the presence of both salmonella and listeria monocytogenes. Oh, my. Got the double. Got the oh double my. cocktail. Um, anyway, it's, it's a raw food. Raw foods carry pathogens, right? And yep. in fact, that's the very. So this made me think of this. Um, I pulled something from the Small Batch Pets website saying we strive to use only meats that are free range, pasture raised, and always free of hormones and antibiotics. Our produce is 100% certified organic, and our supplements are pure, organic, and unrefined. No HPP. Uh, no high pa- pressure, pro- high pasture, uh, pressure pasteurization. It is always 100% raw, the way nature intended. And I wrote, pathogens are natural too. They are. Um, yeah. So raw foods, lady balls, uh, duck sliders, uh, pathogens. Those things, it, they're, they're going to have them. Um, that was segue. <laughs> that was segue number one. Segue number two is based on something that we have not talked about. Um, I, ben, I find it hard to believe there is something that we have not talked about on this podcast. I know, I know. It's so. Do you know that um, that Jenny's ice cream, and this is going to get us into Bluebell, so it's like a perfect thing. Um, do you know Jenny's ice cream people? You know about them? Um, I know ice cream, and I know someone named Jenny. But all right. So here's so back back a while ago. Um, Jenny's Splendid Ice Creams is uh, a Ohio-based ice cream um, company. They very um, soon after Bluebell's um, uh, the link of Bluebell to Listeria outbreak um, found Listeria in in their product and then found it subsequently again in in their um, facility. And they, I can't, I don't think we, we talked about this, but they hired someone, um, Cindy Decker, who I don't know, Cindy, do you know her? And do you know, she, she used to be with Food Safety Net Services. Uh, I think I know the name. I know the name too. Anyway, she, um, she was hired by Jenny's um, Splendid Ice Creams uh, as an executive in food safety to help them deal with their, um, with, with their environmental issues around Listeria. And Jenny's founder, Jenny Britton Bauer, profiled Decker in a blog post calling Decker, quote, a balls-to-the-wall, no-nonsense Listeria microbe pathogen hunter. Okay. So, I like that. She has I lady thought, balls. She's got lady balls. I, I tweeted about that, and uh, I'm not, I can't find the whole, the whole tweet situation. But I tweeted, and I was like, headline of the day. Um, and then I, I'll, I'll tell you, Don, talking about uh, lady balls and uh, um, and stuff like this in in a, in a Twitter echo chamber um, creates some some exciting uh, uh, compliments and non compliments. Really? Like, tell me, yeah, tell me more. Uh, I want to know more. I'll tell you more. So someone asked if maybe th- that we could find a um, a headline that was less like offensive to women. Um, to which I responded, and this is maybe my downfall, um, that I responded with a link to the history of the term balls to the wall, which is a Air Force term about uh, flying fighter pilots because they have throttles that have knobs of balls on the end of them. And if you push them balls to the wall, you go faster. Um, and that turned into uh, responses of thanks for mansplaining that to me. 
which which did not make me feel great. Nope. Um, and uh, yeah, uh, um, the Air Force is a bit of a um, penis fest uh, as well. So uh, it's not surprising that they use the word the terms "balls to the wall." At which point, my best risk communication um, uh, skills said, "Okay, I'm out of the conversation." Engage. Yeah. Yeah. I'm out. I'm out. Um, anyway, so so we kind of a, kind of a crazy. Uh, uh, no, I mean I shouldn't say crazy. Just it was surprising, and then my my problem was that I I tried to to steer it to what I understood the history being without understanding why someone might still be offended at that. Well, and let's just point out that this was a blog post by a woman about a woman that they had hired for their company who used one woman used the words to describe the other woman. Right. right? So. I guess I'm sorry you were offended. I know, um, but I, I yeah. I, I don't know what else to say. I don't know what else to say. Um, maybe maybe somebody can mansplain it to us, but I I I, I, I uh, yeah, I, I you know. It was a bad it, there was a bad like 20 minutes of my internet to where someone who's like um Gwen Pearson is the the person she's she writes for Wire. Mm-hmm. And is the she runs the Purdue Bug Barn? I, w- I went back and found the tweets, and after I tweeted the where it came from, um, she said, "Thank you for mansplaining balls to me. I now have t- achieved peak internet." <laughs> My response was, "Me too, I guess." That, that I have now been um, like shamed for my mansplaining on the internet. Well, I mean, I guess it's cool that somebody from Wired is following you. Yeah, and aware of your tweets, but yeah, it's I don't know, I don't know. It was it was it was, it was not anyway. So so that's my uh, that's my lady balls uh, <laughs> d- thing. Anyway, <laughs> so let me let let me bring this back to uh, to Listeria in in ice cream and say uh, Bluebell. Um, so the food safety news posted something <laughs> blue Bluebell, not blue, blue balls. The Bluebell. That's right. The blue the Bluebell ice cream, not the blue balls ice cream. Um, posted something about uh, Bluebell has a summary of root cause assessment. Oh yes, a document. Did you read the document? So you, I, I mean, so we saw the. I don't know if the document was in. Uh, Dropbox, but no, I just linked to the the article. Food safety news uh, covered this, and and I'll tell you, I'm gonna just tell you, like, here's a root, but a two page root cause assessment probably is not, um, it's a summary, it's probably not detailed enough. (laughs) Uh, two pages, uh, root cause, yes, not, not, not detailed enough. Uh, and let me read to you. The, so here, uh, let me pray see this for you. Do you know that term? Uh, that's a, that's a Canadian term, right? I think so. It's French. Pre- it's uh, presses. I'm going to press this for you. Okay. What does that mean? Uh, it means I'm going to summarize it for you in a, in a short amount of time. Why it's did a, you just say I was going to summarize it for you? Because if I could just say precis, then we're good. Yeah, um, sounds fancy. <laughs> blah, blah, blah. Here it is. Um, found Listeria found uh, was in some of our stuff. We looked at different things. Redacted, redacted, redacted. Uh, we took some equipment out of operation. Redacted Brenham facility. Uh, in all, this is how they, uh, they finished their final statement. In all, we believe that Listeria likely entered the facility from various potential sources and established harborages on some pieces of equipment. <laughs> huh. So in other words, the way that Listeria always does whatever it does. Right. Yeah, it, it came in from somewhere and then it established itself somewhere else. Huh. Um, we could not identify a single – and here's, I guess, the more concerning part. 
We could not identify a single common source of listeria in the facility. Accordingly, we directed our corrective actions towards addressing individual pieces of equipment that returned presumptive positive test results, cleaning and sanitizing our entire facility and equipment, and enhancing our sanitation procedures and testing programs to protect against the reintroduction of listeria. The thing that I read here is that they still don't know what caused it, and instead of searching more that we are going to clean and sanitize when we find something. <laughs> Good. And I think so in other words, you're going to have a Listeria program now. You didn't yeah. have one before and you've got one now. And, but, but you have but it, but you're still going to find Listeria over time mm-hmm. and, and, and so you, until you don't, but right. uh, you, cause you don't know you have various potential sources and establishing harborages. So maybe they'll uh, reduce the harboraging. Well, and and obviously there was something like pretty badly wrong at Bluebell, right? And yeah. so when when you have a lot wrong, um, there's probably a lot to fix. And so I can just hope now that they kind of got a wake up call, and now they're going to do better, right? Yeah. I mean, that's the only thing I can hope. And and again, we I would say to you know, I mean, I feel bad for Bluebell; they definitely screwed up. I really, I really think I really want to know more about the hospitals that made this stuff. I want to know right. more about the milkshake machines they used. I want to know more about the cleaning and the sanitizing that they did. Um, <clears throat> and I guess maybe eventually we will learn that um, because I'm assuming that Bill Marler is, you know, on behalf of people that died or people that were very sick, made very sick. He is suing and we will get that information. So a note, I mean, absolutely Clearly, Bluebell has risk here, but I think absolutely also the people along that food supply chain, i.e. the hospitals that amplified that risk, have um, um, a share of the blame. And and I want to learn as much about that as about what Bluebell can do. And yeah, and there's definitely Bluebell can do stuff, but but there's there's plenty of blame to be to be passed around. And I'd like to see the root cause analysis from the hospitals personally. That's to me that would be at least as interesting as what Bluebell wrote. Yeah, so um, interesting on the lawsuit, I think that Marler uh, is – so uh, I'll, I'm going to link to – we'll link to this. So there's a Houston Chronicle article on this that there were a couple of lawsuits and um, part of the problem with the Bluebell uh, outbreak from what I understand from a legal standpoint is that um, because of the time has passed, the people that um, – not the more more recent illnesses, but the older ones that would make a class action. Um, they're either they either don't know that they're part of this outbreak or have passed away, and that the family like so it's, so it's more it's the more recent illnesses from December two thousand and fourteen um, that are part of this. It's so it's it actually is a little different. Um, situation where where um, Marler is representing potentially one individual, not multiple, which changes things. And I think it's like, from what I understand, it's more likely that someone's going to settle and will not understand the will not hear all the answers. Well, and in fact, if Marler takes the case, it's likely that there will be settlements right. because Marler settles. Right? He settles. doesn't. He doesn't take it all the way to trial. Um, yeah. And if you're, if I'm thinking of the same, or if, if the the Houston Chronicle article. 
Well, okay, so there's an Houston Chronicle article from August. Um, That's the one. Yeah, um, which I, I think is fascinating um, that they are quoting uh, someone uh, who posted on the company's Facebook page, um, followed by 49 exclamation points. Um, <laughs> and um, and apparently, I don't know if they've edited it. I'm not sure that's actually 49 exclamation points. There's a lot of exclamation points there. Yeah, it might be. I don't know if it's 49, though. Well, it says it says in the article 49 exclamation oh, points. But I, I'm crying because yeah. I'm so happy. <laughs> so happy. Uh, so happy. So happy about my Listeria ice cream. Uh, uh. Um, hey, so... So I don't know. I, don't, I got I got kind of like a not a hard out, but a but an but an out that is looming. Uh oh, a looming what? out, a looming out. And the reason why I'm telling you this because I do have to uh, gotta get to my gotta get a shower, and then I gotta go to uh, my office, and I gotta drive to Asheville. Oh, tonight, right? Tonight, not yeah. to get a dog, not to get a dog, but to talk but to, to chefs tomorrow. To talk to chefs tomorrow. So uh, so yeah. So is there what do you what else you got on the what what else you got on tap here? Uh, now that we dealt with the lady balls, I'm good. <laughs> well, now that we heard about my mansplaining skills and peak uh, internet achieved, uh, I'm good too. Very good. I was uh, yeah. So well, let's call that let's call that a show. All right, that's a show. That's a show. That's that is uh, food safety talk. Uh, cue up the music, and I, I'm telling that to I think you because you're editing it. Yeah. Cue up the music, Don. Uh, <laughs> um. That's uh, Food Safety Talk uh, episode 90, 98 or two away from the clip show. Oh, my. Two away from our, our 100th anniversary. I uh, can't wait to, to eat the uh, anniversary cake, birthday yes. cake. I don't know yes. what it is. We're getting cake. I'm going to eat cake for that 100th episode. Let, let them eat cake, Ben. Let, let them, them eat cake. Let them all eat cake. I'll, I'll make that happen. Um, thanks, Dawn. Uh, as always, it's fun to, fun to chat and catch up every couple of weeks. Yeah, absolutely. This was a, this was this was good to do. It was. All right. We'll talk to you next time. Bye bye. Right, bye bye. Ding, ding. <laughs> I gotta gotta figure that out. Dust pal. <laughs> we could uh, ooh. not bad that one. Was that yours? I that can't was yours. No, that was yours. That was not me. It yeah, sounds like there's a problem with your bell. It's slow. I hit it and it, there's a delay. Yeah, that's that's uh, that's not good. My bell works right away. Yours is a little higher pitched, shrill, some might say. Uh huh. Mine is like a coral bell.
Like I could, I could maybe have, um, if I got four of these apps, we could have one of those, uh, bell, we could do Christmas music with uh, ringing bells. We could. I don't know how to do that. Um, but if I really I think we need more bells. Yeah, we need more bells. It says, I, if you're, you know, speaking of more bells, I, I finally, I've always heard about this this Saturday, this classic Saturday Night Live oh, sketch more about cowbell. more cowbell, and I actually saw it for the first time uh, last yesterday. So, yeah. so what did it, was it as hilarious as I remember it? Like, I mean, I've seen it since I saw it back in the day, and I don't know if it's as funny as what I think it is. Did you think it was really funny? I, it wasn't laughing out loud funny, but it was. They seemed to be having a good time. They did. The Jimmy Fallon, Will Ferrell, and Christopher mm-hmm. Walken. Yeah, yeah. It was it was funny, but it wasn't. I you know I get it's kind of the thing. I think you had, kind of had to be there. I think so. That's that. Yeah, that is my that's my guess. And I think I think it's funny because I was there. Mm-hmm. And and every time like there's all this like history of, well, I got a fever and I need more cowbell, and, and that like just people saying that, not watching the the actual clip. So I, yeah. I got a, the only prescription is more cowbell, more cowbell, more cowbell. Um, hey, we're going to see each other in a couple of weeks. We are at CFP in Boise, beautiful downtown uh, Boise. I see you. I, I think I'm going to see oh, you twice. A normal core in DC. Yeah. All right. So I'm going to yeah. go Thursday morning. Are you going direct? What are you doing? What do you got? What's, what's your flight plans? Right. So this is interesting. So I am, I am, I had to change my plans because I didn't realize that things were so backed up. So on Friday, I am leaving the NoroCore meeting via airplane. I am flying to Denver, Colorado, where my son lives. Oh, I forgot to tell you. My my son had a birthday. I bought him an Apple Watch. We bought him an Apple Watch. Oh, awesome. So, got to text my heartbeat to somebody besides you. <laughs> Aw. And you are you drawing little smiley faces and stuff? Yeah, he he was he was drawing the smiley faces and everything. Aww. It was pretty it was it was pretty great. So that's cool. Um, yeah. So, um, and we also, we will link to, um, uh, the, the official, uh, bell of the podcast, uh, the uh, nickel plated call bell on, on Amazon. So we, we will link to that. Um, but, um, yeah, so NoroCore, sorry, bells, um, uh, Friday I am flying to Denver, Colorado, and then I'm spending the day with him in Denver. And then on Saturday night, I am flying on to Boise. Cool. Well, I'm going to come home mm-hmm. Friday at mid afternoon, and then Saturday afternoon fly to Boise. Yep. So we we will be in Boise that that night, both of us. But you will have gone home first. I will have uh, gone to Denver first. Correct. And and then uh, and then are you do you st- like so I'm only a second time. I'm only a sophomore at this. Do you usually stick around? For the delegates meeting, part? I I think we talked about this, or I talked about this with somebody. So I I have stayed for that in the past, um, and it, it is definitely worth seeing at least once. Uh, but then I looked at like what the rest of my week was going to look like, and I uh, said, yeah. you know, I just and because it's Boise, and because it's the East Coast, and because there's no direct flights, or at least not for me, yeah. I've got to fly through Denver or something. Um, I said, you know, I, it's going to take me all day anyway, um, and if I don't leave Wednesday morning, it burns another day. So I'm leaving actually fairly early in the morning on Wednesday so that I can get home you know, late in the day on Wednesday, and then I can have I can be home on Thursday instead of Thursday. traveling on Thursday. So, yeah. yeah. So I'm, but I'm so leaving I'm on Wednesday, flying. so I'll miss the delegates. 
I'm I'm gonna be my flight is Wednesday, but it's not until like three o'clock on oh Wednesday. When and then I get home? home at like eleven. Okay. Um but so I'm gonna stay. And I went last time, but I have two issues that if they make it, I kinda wanna see if they get voted on and what happens. Like if I Oh yeah. If it if it gets submitted on by the council. So Yeah, absolutely. Um so so yeah, so I'm gonna so that's my plan. I'll be there Sunday through Wednesday. Bing. I'm just gonna use my mouth bell. Here on a nickel plated mouth bell. It's not a harmonica. <laughs> all right. All right. All right, all right, all right. All right, all right. Um so <laughs> you a little Matthew um, McConaughey there. Yeah, that's good. That's good. Okay, so we got that. Um you're gonna post up uh ninety Six, yep, whatever it is. And yep, I'm gonna post 96, 97. and then I'm going to post 98. Oh, my gosh. Don, we did it. Well, we didn't do it yet, and two of them are still on me, so let's let's not almost uh, count our chickens. I I would almost be, like, willing to – we'll see how, how you do on 96. I would almost be willing to just do 90, 98 for you. Wow. Just get it done. Just get it up. I'm so, I'm so like, we have made crazy progress in the last month. On We've this. been doing great, yep. Good for yeah. us. Good job. Good job by you. Yeah, goodbye. Job by you. Oh, that's good. Good. Um, okay. So I'm going to go shower. I'm going to grab a snack. Then I'm going to go. Uh, then I got to go. This, uh, this nickel-plated bell, Ben, is the perfect gift for a new bride or groom who wants to gain instant edge in their relationship. Not recommended by nine of the ten marriage counselors. <laughs> Whatever. That's, that is that's, that's, the, uh, that's the official bell. So. Do you- uh, I just found you an ornate nickel-plated half-iron bell on Google on Howes. Nice. Yeah. Do you have the Sparco nickel-plated call bell? No, mine is the uh, ring bell for service. Uh, accoutrement by accoutrement. <laughs> That's uh, en francaise. It is en francaise. There's a nickel-plated turkey bell, dog bell. <laughs> I don't know what that is. Oh, that's different. I'm going to get one of those. All right, you do that. Like a cowbell. It's for dogs. More Turkey. cowbell. More dog bell. More duck sliders. Duck small batch sliders. Um, okay. Let's uh let's call that a oh, I got an email. There you go. Oh, uh hey, so you know I'm not going to Florida. Yes. Yeah, good. And and I'm I told you that I'm like in interneting in. That's cool. Yeah, and that, yeah, you told us that you yeah. thought you were going to do it, but that's that what you weren't I'm, I'm sure. Planning on it. Cool. Yeah. Okay, that's it. <laughs> that's all I got for you. I'm done. All right. Um, I will uh, talk to you in a little bit. All right. Talk to you later. Okay. Bye. Bye.